Exodus chapter 13. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn, whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which ye came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten. This day came ye out in the month Abib. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which ye swear unto thy fathers to give thee a land flowing with milk and honey, that thou shalt keep this service in this month. And we shall leave it there. So we're looking, friends, uh, this evening at uh, these, this chapter, chapter 13. And my subject is God, uh, the guide of our lives. God, the guide of our lives. The children of Israel, well, they've obtained their freedom now. They have been delivered from slavery and from bondage. They're out of Egypt and they're beginning uh, the trek uh, to the promised land. They're no longer slaves. They are, they are free. Egypt is behind them. The promised land of Canaan, flowing a land flowing with milk and honey is before them. Oh, they have so much to look forward to. They're anticipating entering uh, into that land. Their own land. It'll be their own, their own belonging to them. For the first time, there will be a nation that are gathering together, a nation which will have their own laws and will be able to govern themselves, and they will have their own houses, and people will be able to have their own piece of land and to go in and out and uh, feel free and to work towards the, the economy of the, of the nation and to build up the nation and, and to rejoice in uh, their own freedom that they have and to do all these things willingly before they were doing all things because they had to, because of, uh, they were forced to and they were in, in Egypt. And they had to do it for another country, for Pharaoh, and for the promotion of their uh, nation. But now, soon they would uh, be able to enjoy uh, freedom and enjoy life again. Oh, how miserable they had been, isn't it? How miserable life had been for so many years. But now they had the prospect of enjoying all these things again. The sooner we get there, the better they must have thought to themselves. We can't wait to get to the promised land. Well, they, they, they probably thought it would be, wouldn't be long, but God had other plans uh, for them. They could have gone a shorter route. There was a short route. We'll come to that in a minute. But God took them a longer way. God took them on a longer journey, a circuitous uh, journey. And uh, this would put them in good stead. It was a tougher one, but it would help them and enable them to be more ready, more prepared to enter Canaan, when they eventually got there. So all these years, they've been out, been under rather the thumb of Pharaoh. Now they're out. And the Lord, very beautifully, Scripture puts it, the Lord takes them by the hand and leads them at, through, uh, to the promised land. All they have to do is uh, to follow. That's all they have to do. That's all we have to do, friends. The Lord has led us out of the world. The Lord has led us out from bondage to sin. He promises to lead us and guide us. All we need to do is follow him, to do as he tells us to do. Go before him, go be, rather behind him, don't go before him, and he will lead us uh, safely to glory. Well, before we come 
to look at this 13th chapter, I do want to just go back to something that has been raised by a couple of people, uh, and that's uh, in chapter 12 and verse 40. Uh, I did mention this in passing uh, last week and uh, hadn't intended on going into it in any details. A little bit of a technical issue, but uh, seeing as a couple of you asked about it, I will just mention it uh, briefly. It's, a lot has been written about this, and that's the subject of how long? How long were the Israelites actually in Egypt? In verse 40, we read, chapter 12, verse 40, Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years, and it came to pass at the end of 430 years, even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Well, friends, it looks on the face of it as if, if we take just this verse on its own, as if they were actually 430 years uh, in Egypt. But uh, it, when you look at other scriptures, another figure comes into play. And that figure really is a, a lower figure of 215 years. Well, how do you get that? And when, the, when it says here that they were 430 years uh, in, uh, in Egypt. Well, if we look carefully at this verse, it doesn't actually say in verse 40 that they were there for, in, that actually dwelt in Egypt for 430 years. It says the sojourning of the children of Israel, and then part of that time they dwelt in Egypt, was 430 years. And if you actually look at the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, and you look at that, it actually says in there, now the sojourning of the children of Israel uh, and of their fathers in the land of Canaan and in the land of Egypt was 430 years. And that's actually a, a more accurate translation. It's actually going back, and not, uh, not to the time in Egypt, but it goes all the way back to the time that Abraham entered into the land of Canaan. And he entered into the land of Canaan 430 uh, years. Uh, 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 from the time he, he came into Canaan to the time that he, they left was 430 years. And this is confirmed to us in the New Testament of all places, where Paul, I won't turn to it, but Paul in Galatians 3 and verse 17, he says exactly this. He says, for the time... From the time the promise was given, uh, first given to Abraham, right until the time that the law was given to Moses in Mount Sinai, was how long? 430 years. So again, there's a, a confirmation uh, that it was a 430-year period. Now, the time of sojourning uh, began when Abraham enters Canaan. And you'll need to put on your mat's cap here for a little while. Uh, just if you can do some mental arithmetic in your, in your brain. Abraham was 75 years old when he entered uh, into Canaan. And then he had Isaac, his son, when he was 100 years old. So that's 25 years, put that to one side. Okay. Uh, Isaac then was 60 years old when, he, uh, uh, when Jacob, his son, was born. So 60 plus 25, that gives us 85. And then Jacob, when he actually went down into e Egypt, he was 130. 
So 185, 100 plus 130 gives you 215 years. So 215 years they were actually in uh, Canaan, and then the rest of the 430, another 215 years, they were actually in the land of Egypt. But doesn't it say, some will say, in Genesis 15 that they were to be afflicted uh, 400 years? Well, yes, it does say that in Genesis 15 and verse 13. But when did the affliction start? It's not talking only about the affliction in Egypt. It's actually talking about the affliction that began in Canaan. And it began when Ishmael uh, started mocking uh, Isaac at the birth of Isaac. Uh, sorry, not the birth. Uh, from the time of him being weaned, he was mocked. And it's from that time that the suffering uh, and the uh, afflictions really uh, began. And if you work out the dates, you actually see it's actually 400 years. So the first 30 years, you could say, of Abraham's life was actually good, nothing, no problem. But then from that time onwards, it went, uh, the, the trouble uh, started. It started with Ishmael and, of course, went into uh, Egypt. Anyway, that's just in passing. There's a lot more to say about that. And you have to do your own investigation if you really are keen to find out more. But let's come to uh, this uh, chapter, chapter 13 and verse 2. The Lord says, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn with whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. It is mine. Well, they've just come out of Egypt. And these are the important things the Lord wants to impress upon their minds, having just come out. Last week we saw the importance of the Passover feast. We saw the importance uh, of uh, the, the feast of unleavened bread. And the, that feast of unleavened bread is going to be mentioned again. Uh, but also here, this idea of uh, sanctification uh, is also impressed upon them. The firstborn of the Israelites, remember, they had all been spared. And uh, so here the Lord says, uh, Sanctify unto me your firstborn sons, the firstborn males in, in your family. Set them apart. They are for me. They belong to me. And also the beasts, uh, the firstborn among the beasts, the animals, they also are to be set apart uh, for me. I've spared your firstborn children. Now, in a sense, these, uh, these, these children, are, these sons, are to be set apart for my service, and those firstborn animals are to be sacrificed uh, for, uh, for me. It's mine. Later, when they, when they got uh, to Canaan, uh, these firstborn sons would uh, be redeemed. The parents would pay a certain sum of money uh, to the priests, and, and in that way, the, the son and the sons would go back uh, to their home, and the unclean beasts were redeemed uh, with a lamb, as it's given to us even in this chapter, in verses 11 uh, to uh, 13. But this idea of uh, sanctification, well, it's not only the firstborn, it's actually all of them, isn't it? You could say they all owed their deliverance. The whole household did owe their deliverance to the Lord. And uh, the firstborn especially, but the whole household were rescued and saved out of Egypt. And like we were saying on Sunday when we talked about uh, sanctification, we also, every believer is set apart. Every believer belongs to the Lord. We, uh, the Lord can say about you, you are mine if you, if you are his. 
if he has saved you and brought you out from the world and pardoned and forgiven your sins, well, you belong to another. You belong uh, to Christ. And this is uh, the instruction. The new convert, he's come out uh, of, of the world. Uh, he's rejoicing in forgiveness. He's rejoicing in his uh, freedom and the new life that he has found in Jesus. And he's so happy in, the, in that life. Well, he's to remember, you're mine. The Lord says, you're mine, you belong uh, to me. And that you're, you're set apart now to serve the Lord, to live for him, to live for his glory, to live a life that is separated from the world. And then in verse 3, uh, 3 to 16, well, Moses reminds the people about uh, the, uh, these feasts. And firstly, in verse 3, Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which he came out from Egypt out of the house of bondage. Remember it. Remember, don't forget it. Can they forget? Can they forget all that God has done for them? Can they forget the, the great demonstrations that God has, uh, has done to bring the people out? Such visible demonstrations of his mighty power. Can they really forget all these things? Yes. Sadly, that's our state. And that was their state. They could forget. We think, no, they can't forget. How could they forget? Well, immediately, probably they wouldn't have forgotten. But after year after year, those things may have been uh, forgotten and they, they may have easily slipped uh, from uh, their minds. And so that's one of the reasons why the Lord instituted these feasts, the Passover feast and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and, and even the setting apart the sanctifying of that firstborn son was to remind them, remind them of what the Lord had done for them, how with a strong and mighty hand he had delivered them from Egypt. So these visible feasts before their eyes would be remembrances to them of what the Lord, how gracious and kind God had been to them. Well, we are no different really, friends. We're, no different. we're not more, uh, we're, we're just as forgetful as uh, they are. And we too need reminding. We could ask ourselves, isn't it? can I forget Calvary? Can I forget Gethsemane and the agony that the Lord Jesus went through? Is it really possible that after being a Christian and rejoicing in that, somewhere down the line I may forget it? But it may. It may, to a certain degree, uh, happen to him. Or it may be that I just think about the, the cross in a very nebulous way. It becomes just something I'm used to. And I, for, I lose something, that sincerity and that uh, appreciation and that thought that I had at first when I first saw the Lord. And so hell, having the ordinance uh, that we have of the Lord's Supper, as we mentioned before, well, that helps us to recall again the cross on which our Savior died. Do this, the Lord said, in remembrance of me. And that's what we do when we gather uh, together. And we want to do that with thought and with, fe with feeling and to remember uh, what our Savior has done for us. It's a help to us. And that's why we encourage every believer uh, to participate. Baptism is another one. We have a baptism coming up and we're very much uh, looking forward uh, to that. That's another ordinance given by Christ. And again, it's, it's a reminder to the old, the seasoned believers. Well, I've also made promises. When I got baptized, 
I made promises to the Lord that I would follow him all the days of my life. How easy it is to forget those promises. But when you see somebody being baptized and uh, giving himself to follow the Lord, well, you're reminded uh, of your own uh, vows uh, to the Lord. And that's why we also we need uh, the gathering together. That's why we need the, the Sundays, uh, the gathering uh, around the preaching of the word, because we're so light, apt to forget our spiritual priorities. Isn't, isn't it happen? We, we go through the whole week, we hardly think about spiritual things. We're so engaged and engrossed in the things of the world. And then we come to the Lord's house on the, on the Lord's day, and the word speaks, and suddenly we, rem we remember, oh, uh, this is where I should be focusing. This is, should be my priorities. How, how I'm glad to be here. How I'm glad to be reminded of these things. So all these helps that the Lord has put in place uh, to help us in our spiritual journey. And then at the end there of verse 3, you see how uh, no leavened bread uh, was uh, to be eaten. And uh, again, uh, uh, in some of the, the verses following, verse 6, seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and the seventh day shall be a feast unto the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and there shall be no leavened bread seen with thee, neither shall there be leaven seen uh, with thee in all thy quarters. So once they got to Canaan, this was... Uh, the instructions when they got there, uh, from the 14th day of this month, Abib, uh, April, March, April, uh, to the 21st day, uh, they were only to eat unleavened uh, bread. Uh, bread, uh, this unleavened bread uh, symbolized, of course, again, sincerity. Uh, sincerity in the way that they were carrying out the feast. And uh, uh, it's uh, leaven represents malice and corruption. And they were saying, I'm leaving behind my sins. I'm leaving behind the corruption of Egypt. And I'm going to sincerely engage in these acts, or these feasts, uh, as unto the Lord. And that's, uh, that was something of the idea behind uh, these two uh, feasts. And the same for us, friends. Uh, when we come to the Lord's uh, table, let us also come with, uh, with sincerity, with the unleavened bread of sincerity in our hearts, preparing our hearts, so that we don't come into the Lord's table in a glib manner and an unprepared or with unconfessed sin, but that we can put things right with the Lord before we come, and then when we come and we participate uh, in, in that uh, precious time, we, we do it with feelings of gratefulness to the Lord, and we appreciate as we think on the Lord and his, what He's done for us and His coming again, and uh, his grace towards us. Well, we are appreciating it from our hearts. It's uh, we are go about our service. We come with lives that are through the week, as it were, lived sincerely before him. Sincerity is such a, a vital ingredient for a, a, a happy the spiritual life. That we are sincere about uh, the, our, our calling uh, to serve the Lord. And we're sincere to, in our following him and we're not playing games as they were with the Lord. Not I'm saying anyone here is doing that. But we, we, we're sincere. We're, we're real about our, our, what we're doing for him. And when we come uh, to the, uh, the service, we do it uh, with uh, sincerity. When we gather in our public worship, 
again, we, we're sincere. We're not just going through the songs and singing the, the hymns, but with our hearts we are making melody uh, to the Lord, joining in the pastoral prayer, listening to the preaching, because we want to change. We want to receive something. We want to be sanctified by these things. Uh, all these are ways that we can apply uh, this uh, text. Well, in verse 8, uh, we see the fathers had to teach their children, uh, show thy son in the day, saying, uh, this is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. Well, you know children. <laughs> uh, children are always asking, why? Why, why, why? Especially at a certain age. They want, they're very curious about things. And the Israelite uh, children would be the same. They would have seen their parents doing that and seen the feasts around them. And they would have said, why? Why is all these things happening? Dad, why are you doing these things? Mom, why are you preparing things in this way? And so on. Why are we eating this bread without any leaven? We, we never eat this bread. So they would be asking these questions. And uh, it was the re responsibility of the parents uh, uh, to explain uh, things uh, to them and to teach their children these things. They understood the father's, or the symbolism behind the unleavened bread, and so they could explain it uh, to their sons. Well, friends, the, the Lord's Supper should be understood as well. The things that we undertake for the Lord, there's an intelligence, can we say, behind the Christian, with the Christian religion, we don't follow after things which are uh, superstitious and mysterious and such. There's an intelligence about it. There's a reasoning to it. He, God wants us to understand why we worship and what we do. He wants us to understand when we come to the Lord's table what we are doing, not just to go through it in a superstitious kind of way and thinking I will benefit from it just by partaking of it. No, there's a reasoning behind it. There's a reasoning that God reasons with us and we walk as we understand things better. And then as parents, isn't it, we could apply this directly. Uh, this is our responsibility. If we have children, to explain the word of God uh, to our children. And this is especially, friends, what we need at Sunday schools today. Because the children need, um, more than ever, the children now in our day and generation uh, need to hear the word of God, the gospel, explained uh, to them. A number of years ago, well, you know, the children growing up many years ago, maybe we could say, well, they had a good idea of the Bible stories. They had a good idea of the Bible narratives. They were familiar with these things. They would, parents probably would teach them at home. Well, if they didn't hear it at home, they would hear it at church because many people went to church in those times. And if they didn't hear it at church, you'd even hear it at school. I remember even in my day, we heard... Uh, 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 narratives from the Bible told us we were instructed in, uh, to a certain degree, not, uh, not as, as well as they ought to be done, but still we had some idea. But the children today growing up, it seems like have very little idea of what the Bible really teaches. And so it's down, uh, uh, down to parents, and that's why also we encourage, uh, or that's why we have rather a Sunday school. The landscape has changed so dramatically. And that's why we want to reach out to uh, unconverted uh, children and bring them in. But uh, let's move on. Verse uh, 16. Uh, and it shall be uh, a token upon thine hand and for frontlets between thine eyes uh, and for, for by 
a big part. For by my strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. And a similar uh, verse is there in verse uh, 5, uh, where, sorry, not verse 5, uh, verse 9, uh, again, uh, about it being a sign upon thy hand and a memorial between thy eyes. Well, the it in these verses is actually referring to the feasts, to the Passover feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And uh, what God, the Lord is saying is that these feasts will be uh, a reminder to you of how I have redeemed you and how uh, I have brought you out with a mighty hand. These actual acts visible in front of them were to be a reminder. Now the Jews have taken this verse more or less literally. And this and a few other verses from the Old Testament and they've concluded, well, this means we must have something physical uh, to remind us. As well as the feast, we need to have something physical. So they, they came up with uh, this, uh, what in the New Testament is called uh, phylacteries. Uh, but uh, they were really these small pouches. And these small pouches were, uh, had, had within it f uh, four uh, passages of Scripture, four passages uh, from the law. And they would wear these uh, small pouches on their foreheads and on their left arm, sort of close to the ear, just above the elbow. And they would wear these as a, like a, an outward memorial uh, to them, a physical aid of what the Lord had done. Well, there's nothing particularly wrong with that. We have it on our walls. We have scripture verses in our home uh, to remind us of, uh, of, of those texts when we see them, there's nothing particularly wrong with that. It's good, in fact, to have it. But when you look at the New Testament, and that's the reason why I'm bringing it out, is the Pharisees took it too far. The, Pharisees, the Lord said in Matthew 23 and verse 5, the Pharisees, all their works they do to be seen of men, they make broad their phylacteries. So they made those small pouches bigger so that other people could see, oh, you're a holy man. You're a holy person because you've got this on your forehead and on your arm. But that's not the purpose at all uh, why the Lord uh, said they should do those things. But let's uh, move on uh, very quickly. Uh, verse to verse uh, 17. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way, the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led them, the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. Instead of taking that shorter, more direct route, which was uh, towards the north, uh, towards Canaan, the Lord leads his people southwards uh, towards the wilderness and towards the Red Sea, down to Sinai, that peninsula there. It's a much longer, a more circuitous, a harder route uh, for them uh, to, to go there. Well, why is the Lord doing this? Well, it, it tells us in verse 17, if they'd gone the other way, they'd have, they'd have gone from slavery uh, to, into a, a war, war zone. They would have begun to fight battles with the Philistines and all those along the way. And they were just not prepared for that. They were just not ready for that. They had, 
They were worn, they were weary, they were weak after, after all the struggles or the, or the slavery. Uh, they, they didn't have arms. They probably had some arms, but they didn't have a lot of, a lot of arms for a battle. And even though God could have in a mighty way destroyed their enemies, he doesn't usually work that way. Uh, but here, it would have been, they were very ill-prepared to enter to, into a battle. And then also they were ill-prepared uh, spiritually. They were not really ready spiritually. That Many of them still uh, had needed education spiritually. And so the Lord takes them around this, this long way. He's, they've got to go to the law. They've got to pick up Mount Sinai's instructions. They've got to pick up civil instructions, how they are to behave as a nation, how they are to be, uh, the religious laws that are to govern the people and how they are to live their lives once they reach Canaan. To have gone the other way would have been, well, wouldn't have been enough time, in a sense, for, for the Lord to do uh, all these things. So it was important and vital uh, for them uh, to see, uh, to go down the other way. Perhaps if Moses was leading them, he would have said, let's go uh, northwards. That's the way to go. That's the best way, using our nat his natural mind and natural reasoning abilities. He would have said that. Everything, look, suggests we go this way. Why do you want to go that way? But God knows better, friends. God always knows better. And though it doesn't seem the right thing to do, when he directs us to go a way that maybe doesn't seem uh, reasonable to us, we follow. We go uh, that way because uh, God always knows uh, best. Friends, that's why he doesn't take that new convert to heaven straight away. Maybe the convert thinks, well, if I go straight and I'm saved, just go straight to heaven. Well, that's it. That'll be great. That'll be wonderful. But the Lord thinks they're different, and the Lord leads him about. It's interesting that God, verse 18, God led the people about. He leads in, a, in that circuitous roundabout way. Uh, the Lord doesn't uh, lead, take, uh, take the new convert straight to heaven. But he leaves him in this world. Usually for many years he's left in this world because he's got things to learn. And he's got experiences to go through. And he's got time to prove the Lord. And he's got time uh, to glorify God and to serve the Lord. And he needs to be sanctified and prepared and made meet uh, for, uh, for glory. And uh, all this uh, is a help uh, to him. Uh, in, and of course the same for all of us. And then we could also say, well, the way to gospel success is not easy. We wish it was. We wish we could just preach the gospel and we could just say to people uh, the, the gospel and immediately they respond, immediately they believe. And every time, every new person we went to, it was like that. Well, it would be so easy, isn't it? You know, we just say a prayer. I know somebody and uh, I heard of somebody and they're in a car and they, they talk to the, in the minicab. And they talked to a minicab driver about the Lord and said, do you want to pray this prayer with me? And he says, yes. And he's a Muslim. And he says, yes. And, and uh, then he, he responds, well. And then they go off, they meet another person on the street, and they again ask them, well, do you want to pray this prayer? Yes, I want to pray the prayer. And they come back and say, oh, I had two people saved today. I had three people saved today. It doesn't quite work like that. Unless the Lord has really prepared those people. But uh, it's hard, friends, isn't it? And the Lord allows it to be this way. Yes, he could immediately uh, save souls. But conversion then to us would be treated as a very easy thing, a very light thing. 
and uh, we need, uh, God rather would have us uh, to be earnest in prayer. So we are left, uh, the Lord leaves us to pray each week for souls, week after week to plead with God uh, for souls. And then we persuade them and then we reason with them and we urge them and we persuade them again and we reason with them again and urge them again until they come through. And then we realize, oh, how difficult it is really for a soul uh, to come through. Of course, it's all God's work. But uh, friends, this is part of the reason why uh, the Lord doesn't save souls uh, immediately, uh, usually. And then just before we, we move on, verse 18, look at uh, the end of verse 18. Uh, the children went of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. That doesn't mean that they went out armed with lots of weapons, but they went out in orderly ranks. Not in a haphazard way. Everyone rushing for the door. The door of uh, freedom is now open. Everyone just rushing out in a haphazard way. They went out in a very orderly way. And uh, that speaks also to us. But, uh, verse 19, uh, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, uh, for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you. And they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Ethan, excuse me, in the edge of the wilderness. And then verse 21 and 22, very well-known words. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Here is how the Lord led them. He gave them this uh, visible sign, a pillar of a cloud. Uh, he moved ahead of that vast congregation, two million people, in a, a pillar of a cloud. Uh, by, it was just one cloud, a pillar of a cloud in the daytime, and then that became a pillar of fire uh, in the nighttime. A pillar that went as erect all the way uh, towards the skies, and at its base it was flatter so that it covered all the whole uh, people, and they, they were able to receive protection uh, from the, the blazing sun during the day. They had a nice shade over them all along their journey. And then at nighttime, well, that pillar of cloud would turn to a pillar of fire to give them light. How dark, there was no natural lights there. How dark it would have been, how scary. But uh, the pillar of, of light, fire, gave light to them and no doubt also some degree of warmth. And they were often journeying at, in the evening as well. So that they would, in the, cool, the cooler period uh, of the day, so of the night rather, they would be journeying uh, along on their way to Canaan. So they had this uh, supernatural light uh, provided for them along their journey. And they would be with the people and be their protection and be uh, God would provide for them and protect them all the way uh, to Canaan, all the way to the promised land. Oh, friends, how wonderful uh, this is. And we don't really have a lot of time to apply, but just this one final thought. We don't know the way to heaven. We don't know the way to the promised land of heaven. Man thinks he does. Many men think they do. Many men will come, come across very boldly, assure you that they, they can show you the way to heaven. 
but they are wrong every time. They will lead you uh, the wrong way. Christ came. Oh, I didn't, important thing I didn't say about this pillar. The Lord was in the pillar. The Lord was in the pillar. It wasn't just a pillar. But the Lord was there. He was the one who was leading them. And uh, it's the same for us. Christ came. And Christ came in a visible form. And he revealed himself to us. Not in the pillar of cloud, but in, as one of us, he came. He made himself visible, the, the Son of God. Why? One reason, to be a guide for men. To be a guide for us, to show us the way to heaven. That if we follow Christ, yeah, he will lead us uh, to heaven. He will lead us to glory. We will surely arrive there. And all along the way, he will be the one. Christ will be the one who will protect us will be a light to us, who will provide for us all that we need, all the grace that we need for every situation that we need. He will protect us from our enemies. He will guide us in the safe path. He will be with us all the way. As the hymn writer says, all the way my Savior leads me. What have I to fear besides? He will be our guide. He doesn't just say, I'll see you there. <laughs> I'll see you in, in heaven. No, he's with his people. He's with you and I. All the way, as the psalmist says, he will be our guide unto death. And we can add uh, into glory. Amen.